Lord, I want to pray that as we continue with this worship series, that you would come and pour out your spirit on us, Lord God. We want more than just singing words. We want more than a worship experience that is just an intellectual experience of, of claiming you to be great, Lord God. We want, we want actually a, an experience where our heart, body, soul, mind is engaged in the worship of you, Lord God, that every part of our lives is engaged in worship with you, Lord God. We are so excited about the possibilities of what you could be doing in the future, and we want to be a part of that, Lord God. We want to, we want to be a part of what you're doing in this nation, in the lives of people around us, Lord God, and we know that worship is such an important part of that, and I pray you would do it in us and through us. Amen and amen. Before we go on, I just felt like God had some things that he wanted to say to some people. And so the, the gentleman sitting in front of me in the Czech shirt, what is your name? I know I've met you a hundred times, but just please tell me your name again. Lenny. Lenny, I just, I just hear the Lord saying that there have been dreams in your heart. I saw you as a five or six-year-old boy, and you were, you were asking your parents about how to become something, how to, how to be something, and it was something so deep in your heart. And God, God is coming here to tell you as your spiritual dad, as your, you, as your eternal father. He's standing right beside you, and he's saying, Lenny, I've heard that. At that age, I heard that, and I already started to move things to bring you to that place where you could be that. I hear him saying, the dreams that are in your heart are my dreams, and I am going to establish them. I hear him saying, Lenny, you have recently there have been some obstacles, some difficulties that, that have made you feel like maybe I need to give this up, maybe I need to lay it to the side, and I hear the Lord saying, no, son, don't lay it to the side, for indeed, I have called you to this, because the dream was put in your heart, not by your own imagination, it was put in your heart by me and I have indeed said that this is this is who you are do not listen to the the voices around you that are trying to tell you that this is not who you are this is not the way to go for indeed I know how I have made you I know what I've put inside of you and you are called to such a thing and at such a time as this amen and amen and amen can we give the Lord a hand lady in the red dress right in front of me sitting right in front of me wave at me yes you yes you i feel like i feel like the lord what is your name first of all faith what a great name i hear i can tell you had christian parents <laughs> faith i just hear i just hear the lord saying that um there God is about to open relational doors for you that have been shut for a long time. There have been some people that have been steadfastly resistant to repairing some relationships in your, in your broader sphere. And you, you have longed for restoration and reconciliation in those relationships. And I hear the Lord saying, my daughter, you have stood and you have prayed when no one else would pray. You have, you have held the back of people. You have watched over people. And you have, you have been an intercessor in your larger family and indeed I, I will open those doors and I will repair those bonds and I will make those bridges whole again and my daughter do not do not despair or do not give up for in due season you will reap if you do not give up and I just see a restoration not only in those relationships but a generational blessing coming to you and your family of wholeness and life and prosperity in many different areas I just see uh, financial prosperity but I also see um, 
relational prosperity, like a, a wholeness and a joy and a life coming on many respects. And I hear the Lord saying, I have used you as the open door to a place that has been barren and that has not had an expression of my kingdom in it. And I am using you to, uh, as, a, as a way of infiltrating many, many lives, not just in your family, but, I but in many spheres of you being able to release the glory, the knowledge and the value of God's kingdom wherever you go. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? So as we continue working through this course on worship, I want to share this one testimony with you. A long time ago, I used to do a sport called adventure racing, and I loved it. It's a very extreme sport. They upped my insurance premiums while I was doing it because it, it had some danger involved in it. And when I used to do it, we used to do long hours of um, running, hiking, trail running, cycling, orienteering. The races would take three or four days. And I absolutely loved it. And we were on this particular race. And as we were going along, we were, we were moving up a mountain as fast as we could. It's, you do it in teams. There were four of us. We were moving up a mountain as fast as we could. There was a rough terrain um, in the middle of Swaziland. And as I stood, I twisted my ankle. I stood wrongly on a, uh, on a log and I twisted my ankle. And literally, hold on to your hearts right now. As I stood, I literally heard the tendons tearing. I, mean, I, I literally heard it, and the pain was excruciating. Now, you must understand, we were many kilometers from any kind of civilization, and we were many kilometers from the next checkpoint. And so the only way for me to get any to a place of any help was to go on my own two feet. You know, those guys that I was uh, racing with had been going for many, many hours. They weren't about to put me on their backs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you're going to make it, you're going to make it on your own two feet. So... We strapped up my ankle and we're going and I had a stick and we were kind of walking along and I was going as fast as I could, but it was very, very slow. And I remember thinking, oh my word, Lord, this is me, I'm out. And I was praying and just talking to the Lord and it became very clear to me. Well, suddenly all those scriptures of healing and, and God's goodness came to me and it, it suddenly became obvious to me that, that God... God could do a miracle. I know that he should have seemed obvious to me right from the beginning, but it became more and more obvious. And I, I thought, what would happen instead of putting my eyes on the negativity and the difficulty of the circumstances? What would happen if I just began to worship him in my heart? And so I did begin to do that. I began to, just as we were walking, start thinking of his goodness, telling him how great he was, remembering scriptures and quoting scriptures. And then as I got more confident, I started saying them out aloud. And then I was basically walking along and just declaring God's goodness and his praise and worshiping him, extolling him as a great God. And as I went, literally what started happening is every step I took, which was excruciating at the beginning, but every step that I took, the pain diminished slightly. And as I kept going and kept going, the pain got less and less and less and less until eventually I was walking on that foot in the same way I was walking on the other one. And you know what? I went on, I did next, the next stop, they said, do you want to sit out? I said, not a chance, we're in this now. And we, we ended up not finishing the race, but I wanted to be known it wasn't because of my ankle. It wasn't because of me. One of the other guys couldn't make it. But, but what the point of the story is, the point of the story is that worship makes the difference. When you put God in his place, things are different, things change. 
as I, as I was talking to someone this last week and I was asking them about this worship series and I said, they were saying how much they loved it. I said, what was, it so, what was so great about it? And they said to me, you know what it became obvious to me in this worship series that when you worship, cool things happen. And I thought, what a great concept. I mean, if you look at the Bible from start to finish, it is about when you worship God, cool things happen. I don't know what God has in all of your futures. I don't know what he has for you tomorrow, but I promise you this, worship him and something cool is about to happen. I don't know what it is, but I promise you this as well. It will blow your mind. Worship simply means to ascribe worth to God, to put him in the place of honor, to give him the place to his name, to make him who he is really, the one worthy of all honor, praise and might and glory. And as we do that, cool, thing has, cool things happen. So I was going to call this, this sermon, Cool Things Happen, but instead I'm calling it um, Everyday Ways of Worship. Everyday Ways of Worship, because I think as we look at worship and we imagine cool things happening in our lives as we worship, I don't know how you feel about it, but I want cool things happening all the time. And so I don't want my only worship expression to be what I do on a Sunday morning. I want worship to be a lifestyle. I want worship to be something that I'm doing all the time, that whether I'm on a race or whether I'm in an office or when I'm, whether I'm preparing food or I'm with my friends or I'm busy with a work proposal, that no matter what I am doing, that there's worship coming from my heart to the living God. And in such a place, nothing is impossible. So as we look at cool things that, that, that happen as we worship, I want to just mention some things that happened in the Bible that were pretty cool. First of all, our pain is healed. As we worship, our pain is healed. There's this fantastic story that talks about how one of the kings of Israel by the name of Saul, and he was, the Bible says that he was tormented by an evil spirit. And I don't know how many of you feel tormented by evil spirits, but um, pro probably not many of you. But if you do, the story is for you. If you don't, it's still for you because you may, you may feel tormented by something else. You may feel tormented by the pain or heartache of something that's happened in the past, or you may just feel down or um, despondent about your future, the story is for you. So this king who was going through a hard time, his counselors decided, well, how, do we, how do we help this man through this experience? They said, well, can we find a worshiper in Israel who will come and worship God in his presence and we know, we know something cool will happen. So they called David, who would later become King David, and they brought him, and he began to play his harp in the presence of Saul. And as he played his harp, played his harp, something cool did happen. Saul was delivered from that demonic presence and came into his right mind and um, was able to live well while that worship was in play. How much more for our lives as we worship God that that the pain and the torment of our lives and of the people around us is alleviated. How many of you have come into worship one day not feeling so great? And as you've worshiped God and as you've put him in place and you, as you have made him as big as he really is, how your feelings and thoughts have changed, how you felt differently. My son said to me the other day, Mom, when you're at church, you're the most alive I ever see you. Why? Because worship.
worship. You know what? Better way to take your mind off your problems, put them on Jesus, put them on this living God. And at the same time, as we do that, he becomes who he really is. In worship, we sense God's presence. I put there very specifically, we sense his presence because his presence is always here. It's not like you can make God more good than he is. It's not that you can make God more powerful than he is. It's not like that, that he, he at any stage is absent from your environment. But when you worship him and you acknowledge him, turn your attention towards him, give him the glory and the value and the honor due him in that situation, his presence becomes obvious. His presence becomes obvious. I've told this story uh, before. If you've heard it before, just smile and nod and humor me. If you haven't heard it before, smile and nod and humor me anyway. So the uh, sometime back, <coughs> excuse me, I have an aunt who does not know God and does not serve God and, and believes that there is no eternal life. And I was at a family function, and I'm always looking for opportunities to share Jesus with her and talk to her about her eternal future. And I went to this and I this family function. I knew she was going to be there, and I'm thinking in my heart, how can I best demonstrate the truth of Jesus to her? So I go in there, and I'm praying, and I'm contemplating God, and I'm thanking God for his goodness, and I'm worshiping in my, his, in, my, in my heart. I go in there, and I sit down next to her, and I'm about to start a conversation with her, and she turns to me, and she says, you know, Carol, whenever you're around, I just feel something. I just feel, I just feel peaceful. What is that? What is that? And with all seriousness, I turned to her, and I said, that's the presence of God. She still hasn't come to know Jesus, but she will, <laughs> because I'm just going to keep doing that. And at some stage, she cannot deny the reality of the presence of God on me and every other Christian she will meet. But as we worship God, the presence of God becomes obvious, tangible, visible, knowable. And as we worship God in our workplaces, in our homes, that presence becomes tangible and knowable, not only to us but to many others. Here's a great thing is that the enemy is defeated. Last week, we talked about that spectacular story from 2 Chronicles 20, how when Jehoshaphat was faced by three armies that was impossible to beat, he sent out before him, before his army, the worshipers, the Levites, and they went out proclaiming the Lord is good and his love endures forever. And we read the story of how the armies that were against Israel defeated themselves. They fought themselves. And it says that it took Israel four days to bring in the plunder. Four days to bring in the plunder. And I prophesied to you last week, and I'm going to say it again. Put worship at the center of your life. Put God at the center of your life. Worship him for who he is. Make him exalted. Lift him up. Value him. Put him in his place in your life. And you will not have enough place to receive the blessing that is coming. The obstacles, the challenges, the negativity around you will destroy themselves. And you will walk in the, the glory and the presence of God and his, his provision and his blessing. We become free. Acts 16 tells the fascinating story of Paul and Silas who are imprisoned. You remember that story. They're imprisoned and at midnight they begin to pray and sing psalms. It says everyone was listening to them. And as they began 
to worship God, lift him up. You know, it's almost like they were, they were sitting in prison and they were saying, this prisoner doesn't have the last say. It's like they were reminding themselves, reminding themselves, God is on the throne. He is the exalted one. He created these very stones that make up this prison. You know, if he can turn stones to bread, this would be a good time. Maybe that's what they were saying. But, but you know, they're sitting in that prison and it, putting God in his place, valuing him for who he is. God, you are the maker of all. And so even though I'm sitting in a very dark and lonely place, as I worship you, something cool is going to happen. I don't think they really expect their chains to fly out and the doors to fly open. I don't know if they really expected that because they didn't do much when it happened. You know, they just, they just sat there and collected the prisoners. But, but clearly, they, something incredible happened in response to them putting God in their place, to taking their eyes off their circumstances, putting it on God, and making God known for who he is. Not many of you are in prison. I know that for sure because you're here. But you know, many of us are in prison by our, by our own low self-esteem, by our small expectations of the future. We're imprisoned by the negative words that have been spoken over our lives. We, we're imprisoned by society's limitations. We, we, we feel imprisoned by so many things, by our, by our own disappointments in life, by our own expectations of ourselves and of God. And I want to say to you that as we lift Jesus up, as we extol him, as we give him the glory due his name in worship, that those prison doors will fly open. The way you see yourself, the way you see your world, the way you see things around you, you will, will change. You know, when I think about God's plan, God's mission, I read in the Bible from cover to cover, really this gigantic story of God wanting worship of him to cover the earth. For every nation, every tribe, every person to be singing out the praises, to be declaring the goodness, to be lifting him up and valuing him for who he is. That The Bible talks about how the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. And as we worship God, it's like we participate in this giant mission to bring his goodness, his praise, his glory, his redemption, his might, his power into every place of society, into every heart, home, street, institution. That worship brings us into this giant stream of the movement of God's spirit, the movement of God's presence, the movement of God's hopes and dreams for the world. And as we worship him, we partake, we come, become significant partakers of the kingdom of God as the kingdom is, is carried throughout the world through our worship and through our praise. When we worship God, cool things happen. As I, as I read the Bible, I come across this passage that strikes me because it's, it's about David doing worship wrong. 
and then redoing it and getting it right. And why I love that is because if I think of the most profound worshiper in the Bible, it's got to be King David. And it gives me hope when I, I see him learning how to do it better. When I see him progressing in his ability to worship God, in his ability to see the cool things happen that, that follow the worship and the lifting up of our God. And so the story begins in 2 Samuel 6, and I'm not going to read from the screen just yet. I'm going to give you a little bit of background to it, but... David, remember, he was wanting to have a place outside of Jerusalem where there was 24-7 praise and worship to the living God. And he had, he had made that tent and he had organized the Levites to do the praise and worship of God there on an hourly rotation basis. All he needed now was the Ark of the Covenant to come and be in that tent. And the Bible talks about how he took this giant band of 50,000 men and they rode out to where the ark had been kept outside of Jerusalem and they took this new cart. The Bible is very clear to tell us that it was a new cart, not an old cart, not an everyday cart. It was a new cart, especially made for the occasion. And David went there and to get the ark and he's bringing it back. And when I, when I see that procession of 50,000 men, and that new cart, the Bible doesn't say this, but I am immediately struck with this, is David was trying very hard. Now, it's not wrong to try hard, but there is a chance he was trying to impress God. He was trying to impress the nation. He was trying to show them, look, look, look at my great band of men that can come and do this. Look at this fantastic uh, procession that I can create for God's presence. God, you must bless me because look how well I've done. So they put the ark in the cart and they begin their journey and it doesn't end well. Halfway along the way or way along the way, the oxen stumble, the cart threatens to fall, a man puts his hand out to steady the ark. God struck him dead in that moment as he touched the ark, as he's tried to steady the ark. David quite rightly so said, stop, let's rethink this, let's do this again. So they took the ark and they took it to someone's house close by, a Levite by the name of Obed-Edom, and they took the ark there and it stays there. And David did what he probably should have done in the first place. He went and looked and consulted and found out how you are meant to bring the ark how the ark is meant to be carried. And he read in the teachings of Moses, the Bible doesn't say he read there, but that's where he would have found it, that the, the presence of God is not meant to be carried by the impressiveness of men. It's meant to be carried in the hearts of worshiping people. That it's meant to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites, the worshippers of the nation. So he tries again, because that's what overcomers do. <laughs> they go at it again, because they know there's a good God that it's not a punishing God. He's a God that brings redemption and restoration and has a future for us all. So he, he goes out and he tries again, and we pick up the story. 
in verse 12. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. Sorry, the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Sometimes we just read the Bible and we don't really think about it. Did you hear what it said? Every six steps, that's not very far, every six steps they slaughtered a cow and a calf. And this was Israel's way of worship. This was one of their methods of worship, sacrificing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, we have Jesus sacrificed. That means that we don't have to sacrifice animals. Do not bring your cow to church next week. But every six steps, there is this extravagant display of worship to the living God. There are trumpets. David is dancing with all his might. There's worship and praise, and every six steps they stop to do it all over again with this extravagant display of worship to God. How many steps did they take to get Jerusalem? I don't know, but, but I mean, even if it was 100 meters, that's a lot of cows. I don't know if any of you grew up on farms, but I mean... It's likely David wiped out a whole herd. It's likely that a large amount of his wealth went into that possession. Because David is now no longer trying to impress God and, and look like the strong, mighty warrior. Right now, he's, all he is is a worshiper of the living God. And what he's saying is that all I have, all I am is at your disposal. As I put you as the exalted, glorious God, as the one that I'm so grateful for your presence. I'm so grateful for you. I, I lift you up as the exalted, glorious, powerful God, creator of the universe. As I do that, everything I have, everything I have is, your, is at your disposal. It's no longer about me. It's about you. It's no longer about me. It's about you. I think one of the powerful, most powerful things about worship is that it takes us from the center and puts Jesus there. It takes us away from being the makers of our own destiny to put Jesus as the maker of your own destiny. It takes you away from being the solver of all your problems to Jesus being the solver of all your problems. It makes, takes you away from being the initiator of all your hope and all your blessing, and it makes God the initiator of all those things. As we put him in that place, and as we just then surrender all we have to him and say, this is all yours, then everything comes into its right place. Do you remember last week I told you about Psalm 22 verse 3 that says, God is enthroned on the praises of his people. And I told you about that Japanese version that says, when God's people praise him, he pulls up a chair and he sits in it. And that's what worship does. It puts him 
as the head on the throne above all else. And as a result, we come into our right place and we become more fully ourselves. Have you ever wanted to be fully yourself, fully express yourself, fully significant? This is how you do it. You put God in first place and you come in. It just slots you into that right place as the recipient of his presence, the carrier of his nature into the world. And you fulfill your destiny. You fulfill what you were called to be and do. We carry on in the story from verse 16. It says, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, that is Jerusalem, Michael, daughter of Saul, who was married to David, watching from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. It goes on to talk about how Michael just goes on this big rant to her husband David and says how terrible he's behaving and how he's humiliating himself in front of the slave girls and the least of society. And he's, he's just behaving in a way that is not the dignity that a king should carry. And David, I, I mean, I wasn't a fly on the wall, but I can imagine the conversation when it goes like this. The Bible doesn't record it, but it goes like this, something like this. You know what? I tried that dignity thing. I took my 50,000 men and my cart, and it didn't really work. So now I'm doing it a different way. Now I'm giving all the dignity and honor to God, and I'm putting myself in that place. And I will be, he said, even more undignified than this. Because it's not about me. It's not about people seeing my glory. It's not about people exalting me. It's about the King of kings and the Lord of lords getting the glory due his name. And as I lift him up to that place, as I, as I make him, him, him big in every way, as I'm giving everything, all my wealth, all my dignity, all who I am to him, as I am finding all my joy in him, he's going to do some cool things. He's going to do some cool things. And David's life proved that to be true. As he won battles, slayed giants, did the impossible. So I think David, above all people, had learned something in this incident, but also just throughout the recordings in the Bible of David's life. He had learned how to live a life of everyday worship. And as we think about worship being about God, us putting him in the right place, exalting him, giving him the worth due his name, the value due his name, as we think about that, and we think about the response being that cool things happen, that, that all of creation comes into its correct order, into the way it's supposed to be. Then it's got to produce something in my heart, in your heart, in our hearts to say, how do we have worship as an everyday experience? Because if it's that powerful, if it makes that much of a difference, how does it become an everyday thing that I do? an everyday thing that I live. And I don't know how you feel, but the, there are very few board meetings that I feel comfortable in the middle just launching out into, oh, you know, some, some of these praise and worship songs that we sang this morning. Besides the fact that there would be no musical accompaniment and my voice is not, not that good, so probably everyone would flee, uh, flee out of that room faster than we could count to five. 
So I don't know about you, but I don't know that I feel so comfortable doing that. But what I can do is some of these, these attitudes and these ways of worship, everyday ways of worship that were exemplified by David in this experience, but also throughout the Bible. And the first, first one is an attitude of an obedient heart. I think what I see in the story is David going from a place of just trying to do it his way, of making his own plans, of thinking of his own solutions, of being wise in his own eyes, and it not working out, and him saying, you know what, God, let me rather do it your way. And it was his obedient willingness to do it God's way that brought about the blessing and got the presence of God to the place it was meant to be. And so much of our lives consists of worshiping God with our mouths and denying that with our actions. And part of a life of worship is us believing that God is as good as he says he is. And therefore, every instruction, every suggestion, every minute movement of his intention is worth obeying. If he's that good, then, then God just has to slightly suggest a course of action and it should be our immediate option, the, the immediate thing that we do, our immediate obedience. And obedient living is an act of worship. Stories are running through my mind of the times I've disobeyed God and the times I've obeyed God and, and the glory that it's brought, that, that obedience has, has brought and the pain and heartache that disobedience has brought. In my early marriage, I feel like I, I wasn't the most submissive wife. So, and there's some women that are saying, yes. <laughs> and you know, I, I sometimes, I sometimes found myself just not really honoring Andrew. And you know, I, this is not a sermon on submission, so I don't even want to go there because I don't, I don't think of submission as um, one person always having to just obey the other person. That's certainly not what I think about submission. But I do know that God had called me to honor my husband as he's called me to honor other people around me all the time. And so I, I remember making that change and saying, God, okay, if I honor you by honoring my husband as an act of worship, my expectation is that you will do something great on my behalf. And I remember Andrew came home with a suggestion one day, and it was a terrible suggestion. Even now, I think it's a terrible suggestion. And I remember God just tapping me on the shoulder and saying, will you trust me through your husband? And I was like, I don't know, I don't know. But finally, I just said to Donning, what a good idea. And then I went and fell on my face and started praying, God have mercy, God have mercy, God have mercy. And a little while later, Andrew came to me and said, you know, you know, I'm just, I've just been thinking maybe that wasn't such a good idea after all. <laughs> I was like, yes, there is a God on the throne. But anyway, well, the point of that very silly story is that obedience, 
Obedience is an act of worship. It's more than just doing what you're told. It's an act of worship. It's saying that, God, you know what you're doing. You're good. You're powerful. You're true. You're Lord of all, and I can trust you. You can jump through to the slide with all six boxes on it. Thank you, Haley. But some other ways of everyday worship is generosity, and we certainly see this in the story. How David just gave everything. Everything. And how generosity really, you know, I've heard someone say this once, that generosity is a military move. Generosity, when I give, when I refuse to hold on to my goods, my possession, my time, and my talent, and I say I'm going to give abundantly to the people around me, to the, the church around me, to needs around me. It's a statement that says, I am not my source. God is my source. It's a statement that rings through the heavenlies and is an act of worship to God to say that God is big enough, good enough, whole enough, abundant enough to meet my needs. I don't have to do it myself. Doing your work excellently. That scripture there in Exodus is the first account of anyone ever being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a man who was skilled in craftsmanship, making the, the metalwork and the, the woodwork for the sanctuary that Moses was building for God's presence, the, the tabernacle of Moses. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God filled him in order to be excellent in his work. The first account of the Holy Spirit was not sharing his faith. It was not reading the Bible well. It was doing work excellently. I remember when my children were young, changing a lot of nappies, a lot of nappies, and then they just are more. You know, you change them, you think you're done, and then there's a whole lot more. They just keep coming, never, ever stop, ever. And I remember, and in those days, I wasn't using disposable nappies. I was using cloth nappies. Can you all just say, God bless you, Carol? <laughs> and I remember one day hanging up another load of nappy, nappies on the line again, like I'd done the day before. And I'm hanging them up. And, you know, my temptation is to take that whole darn load of nappies and just throw them in the garden and say, done with that. And I remember God saying this to me, will you do it as an act of worship to me? Will you do it as an act of worship to me? And I changed my attitude and I, I, as I was hanging up those nappies, I began to pray for my children and I began to pray for God's glory and presence in their life and God to, to raise them up as glory carriers on the earth. And what was a mundane, everyday, very dirty, not very fun job, can you tell what I thought of it? God, you got it. Became an act of worship. And in so God did a cool thing. He changed my heart. He opened up time for me to pray. He, he made everything different. I know that you ha are doing incredible things in your workplace, but 
the excellence by which you do it speaks of the one you are doing it for. Because I went from doing it for my children to doing it for my God. And that changed everything. How about celebration? Oh, my word. I mean, David knew how to celebrate. Do you know that there's more about feasting in the Bible than there is about fasting? And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So great. I mean, fasting's great and fantastic, but that feasting thing is great. Seven times a year, they were commanded to have feasts. And when we hear this about David sacrificing every six steps, you know, they, they didn't just throw that meat away, they went and bribed right afterwards and had feasts. You understand that, that, that sacrifice to God involved celebration always. Because why? When I celebrate, it speaks of a God who's good and powerful and that I, I'm free to enjoy life. The devil didn't invent joy. He only perverted it. That joy is the serious business of heaven. That one of the ways you can worship God is in, to choose to enjoy your life. How good is God? Have fun with your friends as an act of worship to God. Jesus fun. You understand what I'm talking about? How about honoring the people around you? Looking at people not as their mistakes declare them to be, but as who God made them to be. How does that worship God? It, it declares that God is the good creator and that he had, he had a good idea when he made this person. And looking beyond the fact that they're dancing around crazily in the street and you the wife and thinking, oh my gosh, what is David doing? And looking at the embarrassment it's causing, rather looking past that to the, the man who's sincerely loving Jesus and calling that out. Looking at your work colleagues, your family members, as the person God made them to be. What does that do that honors God, that puts him in his place of worship? And last of all, telling what the Lord has done. When your life, your words declare to the world that there is a good, holy, righteous, powerful, majestic God on the throne, God is glorified in your life through you. His presence is manifested and cool things happen. Amen. So in conclusion, when we worship God, cool things happen. Therefore, worship God extravagantly every day through generosity, obedient living, excellent work, celebration, honor, and witnessing that on an everyday basis you can give God the glory due his name and good things can come to you. Amen and amen. Live in his love. Lord Jesus, I just pray for everyone here. Lord God, so many people put their hands up in needing breakthrough and Lord God, I, I stand with them for that breakthrough, Lord God, and I ask that you would, you would bring a worshiping people out of us, Lord God. You would make us ones who stand and declare your goodness in every way, Lord God. That worship of you is seen through our lives in every place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And all of God's people said, amen and amen.